Um, we are excited about this series. Uh, Leslie talked about this today in Team Rally, and I just love how God always works in this like fabric of Team Rally and worship and then the message. And we don't get a chance to like chat with each other and talk about that stuff. It's just how he works. He's so good that way. And so I'm really excited about this specific series, Confession. I'm sure some of you know this. I'm not a Christmas person. Thanksgiving is my holiday. Um, And so I'm always like, we could just fast forward through and go right on to flip that new year. Um, But for those of you who love Christmas, we are doing a series called It Came to Pass. And the thing that I love about this is we're going to pull out some of those prophetic words some of those prophecies from the Old Testament foretelling the birth of Jesus. And we're going to talk about how those came about and what that looks like for us. And so jumping right into the series, jumping right in, I want to go right to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Highlight this next part. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Say with me, all means all. All means all All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. There are 300 and roughly 50 prophecies in the Old Testament foretelling Jesus. That's a lot. 350 prophecies foretelling one person. I asked my mom's permission if I could share this story, but when she was... um, uh, I forget what year it was, 1990, I think, roughly 1990, my mom and stepdad went to a a service and um, the pastor of the church called her up and gave a prophetic word over her specifically. And during that time in her life, her marriage was struggling a little bit. Have you ever uh, encountered a blended family? Know what that's like? It's tough putting families together and, you know, trying to have one fabric and another fabric, sew it all together and make it look really perfect on the outside. It's tough. It's it's a tough challenge. And so I had an older brother. His name was Jason. He's amazing. He's an amazing dad. Um, But he was a little bit of a wild child. He didn't really have a lot of rules. And my sister and I were like, yes, ma'am, no, sir, da, da, da. You know, like we, 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 we were rule followers. But he didn't really have rules. So there was a lot of tension and struggling. Why does Jason get to? Why don't we get to? And there was a lot of fighting. And if you're two parents trying to make things work and look good on the outside, it's a struggle. And it was a struggle for mom and, and, and at that time, Rick, and just trying to make it work. We're trying to make this family work and, and work like a family. And it was a struggle. And so I, mom said that this pastor called her up and he gave a prophetic word to her. And he said this, the house looks perfect on the outside, but on the inside, it's crumbling. But I see a boy in the backyard playing. And if you listen to the, to the video or to the audio, you can hear her sobbing in the background. And she said, I thought that that boy was Jason. And I thought God was speaking specifically about him. 
and how it was going to come about. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, she finds out she's pregnant. And it was Sean. And he's a boy. <laughs> Newsflash, he's a boy. He's a boy. And it took on an entirely different meaning. That prophetic word was not about a spiritual battle. It was a, a physical situation that the Lord was giving her wisdom and foreknowledge on. And I love that because it was one prophecy about one boy. This is 350 prophecies for telling our Lord and Savior. Amazing, right? Amazing. And so I want to I wanna just read this to you. Um, we talked about prophecy a couple of months ago and how there's a difference between prophecy, Jenny, and prophesy. It's spelled differently. Get it right, okay? Um, but in Deuteronomy, it says this. Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 23 says, But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give the message. The prophet has spoken without authority and needs not be feared. The only way that we know if a prophet is telling the truth is if it comes to pass. That's it. That's it. Someone can be your favorite prophet, right? Uh, this is my favorite prophet. I love this prophet. He's right like 98% of the time, right? We, we, we act like that sometimes in the body of Christ. But the only way that we will ever know that a prophecy is truly fulfilled or if that prophet is speaking on authority from the Lord is if that word comes to pass. And what I want to show you is a video very quickly this is John Bevere getting ready to speak. He wrote the book, um, The Awe of God, which we're going to do, little shameless plug for The Awe of God in January. We're going to do that book as a body, and we're very excited about it. But John Bevere is speaking at a church, and I just want you to hear what he has to say. He's done a little bit of research and study, so if you want to play that. People spend more time on social media today than they do in the Scriptures. People spend more time reading blogs than they do in the Scripture. So can we talk about the scripture for a few minutes? 66 books of the Bible written over a 1,500-year time span. Do you understand how long 1,500 years is? If I go back 1,500 years from right now, we're at 515 AD. There hasn't even been a British empire yet. That's a long time ago, okay? 1,500 years. 66 books are written by over 40 writers from three different continents in three different languages. We got kings, we got prisoners, we got soldiers, military men, we got shepherds, we got farmers, we got a physician, we got a tax collector who's a mafia guy. And you put all these guys' books together over 1,500 years. Now, many of them lived in different generations and don't know what the other guy wrote. You put them all together and you get a perfectly harmonized book. Do you know what that's like? That's like looking at 40 different writers over the last 1,500 years and saying, write a chapter of a novel, putting the whole thing together after 1,500 years and having it make any sense. But not only that, it gets even better. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament's 39 books written over 1,100 years. And the last book of the Old Testament is written 400 years before Jesus is even born. I mean, go back 400 years from right now, there's no Atlanta Braves. You don't even have the Falcons yet. You don't have the United States. I mean, the pilgrims just got on the boat. That's a long time. The last book was written 400 years before Jesus was even born. Now, 
You got these 39 books written by all these different authors for over 1,100 years, many of them living in different generations, not knowing what the other guy wrote. And you know what these guys did? They made predictions about the Messiah. Things like he'd ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd be betrayed by a friend. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be called out of Egypt. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He'd be crucified. And they made over 300 predictions with the last one being made 400 years before Jesus was even born. And do you know Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those predictions? So there's a scientist named Dr. Peter Stoner who has since gone to heaven, but he was an expert in probability. Do you know what probability is? If I have a five-gallon paint bucket and I have nine white tennis balls and I have one yellow tennis ball and I shake them all up and I blindfold somebody and I say, reach in, grab one ball, the chance of picking out that one yellow tennis ball is one in ten. Well, he's an expert in this. So Dr. Stoner wants to know what is the probability that anybody can fulfill these prophecies. So he doesn't do the work himself. He employs 600 science students from 12 different classes. And they spent years of research. Not years, they spent months of research. The the National American Scientific Council reviewed their work and said not only was their work accurate, but it was conservative. So what I'm about to share with you is conservative. Please remember that. So they said, all right, what are the chances that any human being from any human being in the world from the time of the birth of Christ until the end of the second millennium, 2,000 years, could fulfill just eight of the prophecies? So here's the eight prophecies they chose. Christ to be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah wrote that. Christ to be preceded by a messenger. Isaiah and Malachi in different generations wrote that. Christ entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah in a totally different generation wrote that. Christ to be betrayed by a friend. The psalmist in a completely different generation wrote that. And there's the rest of the eight. They took those eight prophecies. Said, what is the chance any human being over 2,000 years could fulfill those eight prophecies? You know what the, after all their calculations, you know what the chances are? One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, what in the world is that? 10 to the 17th is a one with 17 zeros behind it. I don't even know how to say that number. And I have an engineering degree. It's not gazillion billion. I got news for you. Okay, but I can illustrate that number. If I have that many silver dollars, I have no place on earth to store them. I have to just spread them out all over the ground. And if I do, if I have that many silver dollars and I spread them out all over the ground, I will cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep with those silver dollars. Now, gather them all in, mark one of the silver dollars. Shuffle them all up, redistribute them all over Texas, blindfold a guy in Oklahoma, put him in a helicopter, start flying over Texas. Remember, it takes two days to drive through Texas. At any point, he can say, let down. Then he gets out of the helicopter, still blindfolded. The chances of him picking up that one silver dollar is one in 10 to the 17th power, which means that is the chances that any human being could have fulfilled eight of those prophecies, yet Jesus fulfilled all eight prophecies. So Dr. Stoner said, what about 16 prophecies? So they do all these hours of calculation, he and the 600 science students. They say that the chances any human being could have fulfilled 16 prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. That's a one with 45 zeros behind it. Don't even ask me to write that number down. Now, if I have that many silver dollars, I can't store them on the earth. It's too many. I've got to make a big ball of silver dollars. I've got to make a sphere of them, okay? You know how big this sphere would be? 
the diameter of that sphere would be 60 times the distance of the earth to the sun. If you want mileage, it's 5.5 billion miles. Now, mark one of those silver dollars. Shuffle them all up. Blindfold the guy. Put him in a jet plane. It will take 400 years nonstop flight just to fly around the ball. At any point, he can say let down. Now, remember, he might have to dig 2.75 billion miles into the center because the mark one might be in the center. But the chances of him picking up that one silver dollar is 1 in 10 to the 45th power. That is the chances that any human being could have fulfilled 16 of the prophecies. Yet Jesus fulfilled all 16. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's unreal. That's unreal. When he put it like that, that we lived in Texas. So I know how long it takes to drive. Like we lived in a very small part of Texas and drove just south. And I was like, gosh, it feels like we've been here forever. I'm like, are we ever going to get out of this car? But I can't even imagine, like, that's what it looks like for our God, mathematically, to be able to fill just eight, much less 16. And he did 350 prophecies. Can I, can I say something a little bit to you right now about maybe something that's a little sobering? There are 7 million people on this, billion people on this planet, 2.3 billion, profess that they're Christians. But only less than half of that about 1 billion people believe that Jesus is coming back, that he is the coming king. 1 billion people is all that believe that. With evidence like this, that he fulfilled all of those prophecies up to his birth, why do we stop at that? Why do we stop at saying, yes, the baby is easy to receive, but a soon coming king that's where I draw the line in my level of belief. But I think that what the Bible, what God, what, his, what he is calling his church to do in this season is not necessarily to say, yeah, I, I kind of get it. I think he wants us all in. I think he wants us all in. I think that the enemy is doing everything that he can to distract and to cause distraction and for us to see the shiny things and for us to see the, the inclusivity and for us to see all the things that make us feel better but not necessarily promote growth in our life. And I think that what God is calling his church to do is to stop sitting on the sideline and waiting for something, but you're not waiting for me. We're not living like we're waiting for him. And that's not a passive wait. That's an active wait. That's an active wait. And so I want to I talk to you about a couple of things that I think are really important in this season. Three things that I think are super important for us in this season to remind ourselves of. When we're, when we're getting ready, like Richie said, those of you that don't know, we are crossing over. When we flip the calendar, we have already got a battle stance ready. We are already preparing for Empowered Conference 2024. We are already feeling like the enemy is coming at us and fighting us already. Like every time we pray and pre prepare for this, the enemy has already got a target on our back. So like Richie was talking about, we're going to get ready and we're going to be prepared. We're not going to waste this season. Most of the time we're like, oh, it's, it's vacation season. Thanksgiving to Christmas, I'm going to use up all my PTO. I'm going to get rid of all my stuff. I'm going to take some time off. And really, that's fine if you want to take some time off, but don't take off in the spirit. Don't neglect coming to church. Don't neglect being with your community. 
because God is doing something in this season, not just in this season because it's Christmas. He's doing something in this season. And if you're not ready, you're going to spend the first half of 2024 getting battle ready. Let's stay battle ready right now. So the very first thing I want to ask you is, do you believe? Not Santa, not in Santa. Do you believe in Santa? No. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that the man that fulfilled the 350 Old Testament prophecies, that he is our soon coming king? Do you believe that? Because that's what it requires. It doesn't require me to be a part of the 2.3 billion. It's going to require that I become part of the 1.1 billion that says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve a little different. We're going to pray a little different. We're going to worship a little different. And so I want to challenge you, church, believe in Christ. Don't just believe in the baby. Don't just believe in the season. Don't just believe because it makes us feel good or because we can grab a hold of something and apply it to our life and God's going to bless me and he's going to prosper me and everything's going to be good. Don't just believe in that Jesus because that same Jesus is the warring Jesus that's coming after his bride without spot or wrinkle. Don't be left behind because you were sleeping in a season. Be ready. Be prepared. I want to demonstrate this for a second. Babe, if you could come up here. How many of you, when your kids started to walk, this is right, when your kids started to walk, you were like, okay, this close to them, right? Because you don't want them to fall. Because if they fall, then they're going to be scared, right? So you're this close to them, and you're like, okay, come to mommy. And they're standing, and then they fall. But you got them, right? You, you pick them back up. You tell them what to do. And then you say, okay, take a step. Come on, you got it. So they take a step and they teeter and they fall. And you got them, right? But then what do you do? You take a step back. And you say, okay, come on. You got it. Okay, I got you. If you start to fall, he's right there. And then there are some times when you get way back and you say, come to me. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to let you fall. But what are we going to do from over here? Come on, baby, stand up. You got it. Walk to mama. Okay? This is our relationship with the Lord. There are seasons where we feel like he's way back here. But it's because in that moment, he's teaching you something. That I've given you all the tools that you need to take one step, two step. I might teeter. I might falter just a smidge. I might get down, but I know I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep walking to what he's ha- he has for me. And I want us to be a body where no matter what comes at us, that I may teeter, I may bobble, but I'm here. No matter if it's raining outside or if it's cold outside. Listen, y'all, when it was cold, I was like, I don't need to go to church. It's cold. I'm from Florida. But that's what Richie said, get dressed, get to church. <laughs> But I want us to be that body that come hell or high water, no matter what comes into our life, that we are standing, that we're firm. What I love about this body so much is the vulnerability that we have with one another. 
the vulnerability. We were at a ladies event yesterday and I loved like sitting around the table and some of it was so, so funny and so hilarious and made me want to pee my pants laughing. But then there were some parts of it where we got vulnerable and we got serious with one another and we could speak truth and be encouraging and we could be vulnerable and saying, I'm struggling in this area. We, no shame, no shame. Why? Because we have done the work here so that we could get here to him. That's what the call is about. It's about us walking out our faith and not being afraid to walk out our faith. James 1, 3 through 4 says this, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So if you believe, if you don't just rip pages out of the Bible, I asked Richie, I was like, is it, is it wrong if I rip pages out of the Bible? He was like, yeah, you can't do that. I was like, okay, do you have like a Quran that maybe I could like rip page, like fake it? He was like, no. So, but in my mind, that's what I thought of when we do that, when we, I'm going to believe this part of the Bible because it's easy, but then this part is hard. So I'm going to rip that part out, or I'm just going to glue that, those pages together. So I can't even open it because it's, it's too hard. We believe the full gospel. That means revelation isn't just an allegory. It's, it, we believe it. We believe it. I don't understand what John was writing about. I, I may not understand the vision that he saw, but I don't look at that and go, oh, this is like a dream he had. No, I believe that Jesus is our soon coming king that I'm gonna live in such a way that I know I'm gonna please him. I wanna please him with my life. I don't wanna live in such a way that I'm dishonoring him, his sacrifice, what he paid for me. The second question I have for you is this, have you exchanged? Have you exchanged? Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved and gave himself for me. What does that mean? I'm exchanging. When Rich and I were talking about this, I was like, okay, what do you think is the most important thing for a Christian to do? What do you think it is? And he said, well, Yes, you have to believe, but you have to pick up your cross and follow him. And I think that's it right there. And that's where a lot of people get stuck. I can raise my hand for salvation, but am I willing to give up control to someone that I cannot see? Am I willing to exchange what feels comfortable for what is a tightrope? Lord, wait a second. You were, first of all, you were way closer before. Come closer so I can walk. And he's like, no, trust me. Give me every step. Keep your eyes on me. Focus on me. Am I willing to exchange my life for his life? The life that I live, I don't live by myself. I live by faith in Christ Jesus. That means that there are things when I open up the word of God and I let it wash over me, and as I speak the word of God over my life, there are things that he's going to convict me of. Am I reading the word of God so that I can be convicted in my spirit? Or am I reading the word of God because I want to feel good? Let me open up my Bible and hear. What are we doing? Are we being intentional about studying the word of God? And are we allowing it to speak truth to us? 
Let me tell you what this looks like practically. If you're exchanging your life for his, this is what it looks like practically. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. I'm not going to read all of it, but here we go. Don't you realize that you who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people, drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these inherit the kingdom of God. If I read that, Am I in the 2.3 billion or am I in the 1.1? Where am I? Am I allowing the word of God to wash over me, to open up my soul and to shine a light and say, hey, in this area, I want this area of your life. Or do I look up verses like this and go, ooh, let me just keep on scrolling a little bit. Because we do that, especially when we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. We, we're like, ooh, I don't like that. Let me jump to something happy like Psalms, right? And then he starts to talk about the Lord slays me and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, wait, where can I go, right? <laughs> Let's go to verse 11. Some of you who were once like, some, uh, some of you were once like that, but you are cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit, the spirit of the Lord of God. Drop down to verse 17, and it says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. The, sexually Im- the sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. That's hard. When we read that, we're like, oof. And if we are not in a pattern of allowing the word of God to heal and to cleanse and to restore, the enemy will use scriptures like that to tell us about our past. So when we read the word of God, it's like, Ugh. It's not it's not conviction from the Holy Spirit so that we can change. It becomes condemnation and then it heaps on us. And the Bible says, take on my yoke because it's easy and my burden because it's light. If it's heavy, it's not God. Because what he does is he brings freedom. So in that moment, he's going to show us, hey, in Misty, in this area, I still want that. That area that you haven't submitted to me, that area of greed where you're trying to hang on to what I've given you, I want you to release that to me. And when I do that, what I'm saying is I'm taking another step closer to the Lord, another step closer to him because he's moved back now. So now it's not baby time. Now he's way far back here. And he's like, can you walk towards me when maybe you can't hear my voice so loud? Can you, can you walk in my direction and do what I asked you to do, even if I'm not telling you direction? Walk towards mommy. Come on. You got it. You're amazing. You can do it. What do we do in those seasons where we feel like he's silent? Are we still obeying what he asked us to do in the last season, in the next season, when we're like, Lord, what's the instruction here? It hasn't changed. The word of God is still the word of God. It's still infallible. We believe the whole word of God, not a part of the word of God. 
He's still the same Jesus that fulfilled all 350 prophecies that's still asking Misty in this area, can you give it over to me? Can you trust me with that? The third thing and the last thing is this. Are you fulfilling the great commission? Are you fulfilling the great commission? Because see, this is what I thought was my number one. This is the most important thing for me to do. As a Christian, I gotta, I gotta fulfill this. I gotta tell people about Jesus. But what I forgot is that if I don't look like Jesus, how can I tell people, hey, act like Jesus? And they're like, oh, you, you love Jesus. Because I heard you on the phone at work. What, what is my day-to-day look like? Because not always the Great Commission means me preaching to someone, me handing out interrupted cards, me, you know, interrupting someone, say, at the grocery store. That's not always what it means. Sometimes it's about my day-to-day. What does my day-to-day look like? When I am praying for people, when I am talking to people about the Lord at work, or when I am just living my life, Am I living in such a way that I honor God to where when he says, hey, that person that you've been talking to about me, that you've been pointing to me, today I want you to tell him that I love him. Can I hear his voice enough to do that? That's the great commission. That's what he's asked us to do, to tell people about his love. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to clean them. That's not our job. We don't clean people up and then take them. We take them right as they are. In 1 Corinthians 9, we just read a whole bunch of stuff that's happening. We don't tell people, hey, I want you to work on 1 Corinthians 9 and then come to church. Okay? Because then we will accept you and we will love you and you will be part of the fold. No. No. Jesus took us right where we were. He reached out his hand in our mess, in our shame, in our guilt. He took us right where we were. And he accepted us right there. And then as we walk towards him, he heals, he cleanses, he shows us his faithfulness so that I can trust you to take another step because I know back here, you healed, you restored. So I know that I can jump when you say jump. I know that if you're asking me to walk in this area where I feel afraid and I feel scared and I feel alone, I know you're carrying me in that season. And that's what he does for us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these, things, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I wanna go back really quickly and read that prophecy that Abraham, He was Abram at the time that Abram received in Genesis chapter 12, verse three. And it says, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All people of the earth will be blessed through you. And I wanna show you where this prophecy is fulfilled. In Galatians 3, eight and nine, it says this, what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time, this time when God would make 
the Gentiles, that's us, right in his sight because of their faith. He, God proclaimed his good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of this faith. That's our inheritance. God gave a prophetic word to Abraham many, 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 many thousands of years ago. And we are reaping the benefit of that prophetic word because of that. All nations of the world would be blessed with Jesus because of Jesus coming. He didn't know about us. He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know. But what he did was walk by faith, not by sight. And that's where my question is for you. How are you fulfilling your calling for the Great Commission? In this season, what does it look like for you to fulfill the Great Commission? If you believe, if you're walking by faith, if you're exchanging your life, what does it look like for you to walk out the Great Commission? I, I, I wanna encourage you in this. Over the next couple of weeks, invite people to church. Invite people to church. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work when they get here. Because I know for a fact that if you've been communicating, if you've been living, if you've been just living life, loving Jesus, that I know that when they come here, that they're gonna feel loved. They're gonna feel valued. We're gonna be able to rally around people. I love that. I love it when someone comes in and says, I feel so loved here. I, 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 I'm not a hugger, but I've been hugged like 10 times since I've been here. I love that. That's what we do. We get to be part of his story, history, his story. We get to be part of that. And just like Abraham, God called him and he had a calling for him specifically. He has a calling for you. He has a mandate for you. In this season, don't miss that. Don't miss that because we, we are too busy or, you know, Lord, I, I maxed out on everything right now. And God's saying, can you just spend time with me? Can you just be in my presence? Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your presence that's here. God, I thank you that you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You always were, you always will be. We're so grateful, God, that we get to worship a God that rose from the dead. Lord, we can't talk about your birth without talking about why you came. I thank you for subjecting yourself as a baby to the people that you created, to the earthly laws that you established. Lord, you didn't operate outside of those, God. I thank you that you felt hunger like we feel hunger. You felt abandoned like we feel abandoned. You felt rejected like we feel rejected. God, you were perfect and you needed none of that. Yet you wanted a relationship so close with us. You wanted to be able to rescue us, God. So we appreciate the fact that you came. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. I pray that in this season, God, that we would surround ourselves, Lord, with your spirit. God, that we wouldn't get focused on the things around us, God, but that we would focus on who you are. Lord, don't let us take the season off. 
God, I pray in Jesus' name that as we flip the year, Lord, that your people will remain battle ready, God. We thank you for that. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're building. God, thank you for letting us be a part of it, God. We are so humble. We are so grateful that we get to be a part of your story, Lord. Reveal to us, each one of us, Father God, over the next few weeks, God, will you just show us more facets of who you are? We thank you for being real to us. We thank you, Lord, that as we communicate, that as we fulfill the great commission, God, that your anointing is gonna be upon us. Lord, break yokes, break hearts, Father God. Lord, I thank you for showing, showing us people that you want us to minister to. God, we don't just wanna hand out toys during the season, Father God. We wanna hand out life. We thank you for life and life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen.